Tom Jones and Steve Brown wrote a, a two-volume set on the kingdom of God, and it's a great uh, read if you ever get a chance to do it. And there's something, there's a lot of things in there that I like, but there's one thing I, that kind of captured my attention, and, and what they were talking about is, you know, how do you describe the kingdom of God? How do you do that? And they said, you know, sometimes you need uh, uh, just facts that will describe something, but that doesn't grab the essence. It's like a mountain. How do you describe a mountain? Well, a cartographer would give you some necessary facts. A geographer would give you some necessary facts. A geologist would give you some necessary facts. But to really grasp the essence and the meaning of a mountain that's when you bring in the poets, the artists, and the songwriters, right? Somehow when they describe a mountain, it's like we walk away, I really understand that mountain. It's more than just facts. There's something just almost uh, intangible, but a very realness to it when they describe a mountain. And it leaves us inspired. Well, in the same way, when Jesus came and teaching about the kingdom of God, we talked about it last week. That's the point. And we don't want to miss the point. But he's preaching about the kingdom of God. He would use parables. He would use poetry in order to help us. Let's try and get our arms around this thing called the kingdom of God. And I want to read uh, two of those parables real quick. In Matthew 13, in verses uh, 44 and 45. <clears throat> He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus is describing a state of being in which you are so excited about everything that you're involved in that it doesn't matter the cost that it came to you. Oh my goodness, my family gave me a hard time. My job gave me this. I don't care. Look what I have. Look at this treasure. Look at this pearl of great price. It is joy. It is enthusiasm. It is passion. And that's what he's describing the kingdom of God like. The first day of the church, Acts 2. Let's see their response. In Acts chapter 2. As people have entered the kingdom of God, look at the response here. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This wasn't just one type of person. 
these people from all different regions, different cultural slants here, but they had come to Jerusalem to the Feast of Pentecost, and during that time, God opened the doors to his church. All right, Peter preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. People repented and were baptized. They were now part of that kingdom. And what's their response? They're devoted. They're eating together. They're glad, sincere. They're praising God. It is a response not so much of what it costs them, but what they received. And they are just excited. Now, what happens when that's not the response? What happens? You know, when we're talking about what is the kingdom of God, some people have referred to and defined it as the rule and reign of God, and that's true. That's exactly true. Dallas Willard says it's the effective range of God's will, and that's true. Now, we think, well, God is God, and what God's will will be done. Yes, it will be done eventually. But right now, with all of us creating this image with man and women that have gone away from them, and now they're deciding, do I want to come back or not? They're not in His will. It is only when they come, they surrender, and they're living for Him. Now they're in His will. So, you know, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we can't just go, okay, we're going to divide a light here. Everyone, okay, everyone on this side of the room, you're in the kingdom of God. You guys, sorry, you're not. All right? It's territorial. In fact, we can't even just say, let's just take one side and do it. How do you do it? How do you draw the line? You see, the line is wherever the rule and reign of God is lived out. That's the kingdom of God. It's more than just baptism. That's an entryway. It's more than just church attendance. It's more than any of that. It's the rule and reign of God. That's why Dallas Willard says the effective range of God's will. In other words, here's God's will, and it's done in this person's life, that person's life, but not that person's life. Okay? Here's the effective range of it. You see? That's the kingdom of God. And see, when someone is within the will, the rule, and reign of God, their attitude is grateful, joyful, excited. We all get disappointed. We all can get discouraged. We can all do that. But I'm talking about the basis, the default mode in the kingdom. Now, default mode with us outside of the kingdom is just the world. We'll always be worldly. But when man, my basis here, I am growing, I am connected. My default mode is one of joy and expectation. You know why? Because I'm in the rule and the reign of God. I am seeking His will. Now, that's norm. That's typical. But we see some responses that aren't. And I want us to look at one of these responses and see what happened here. Look at Mark, the 10th chapter. Mark 10. And you think about the parables that Jesus told, and you think about the early church and how they were devoted to the apostles. Man, they just wanted to learn. The fellowship, they wanted to be together and exchange and help each other grow, breaking bread to prayer. They were, I mean, they were devoted. 
This was what their lives were about. This is exciting. And then you have this response. Verse 17, Mark 10. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is not an indictment against wealth. We read in 1 Timothy 6, there were rich Christians. And Paul told Timothy, tell them to be generous with what they have. So it's not money per se. The love of money is the root of all evil. But money per se, hey, money allows us to meet here, right? So what's the issue with this guy? Why don't we see a Matthew 13? Wow, that's like, okay, I'll do it. Zacchaeus did it. Zacchaeus wasn't even told to do it. He just goes, man, let me just clean this stuff out of this clutter. Because God's will wants to envelop my life. I want to be about God's will, but that's standing in the way, so let me just get it out of the way. Zacchaeus just came up with that. This man, he was doing all these good things, and yet walked away. Not within the borders of the kingdom of God. God's, the range of God's effective will stopped before that man. What do we learn from this? And I want us to be thinking about this, guys. There's a lot of things that we've got to be working on and, and, and praying about and opening our hearts to the Lord. But this man has some great lessons, or two lessons, that I want us to learn from him. Because sometimes as life goes on, you feel like your response, oh, I don't, I'm not that joyful, I'm not that excited, I'm not. You've got to ask, why? If this is of God, if this is the will of God, if God is, then you know something? The problem will never be with God. I need to figure out what is going on with me. Problem number one here that this guy had, he asked the wrong question. He asked the wrong question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Wrong question. Wrong question. What he should have asked is, who must I be to inherit eternal life? Who must I be? Because you see, that is what redemption and salvation is about. It's not about just forgiveness of sins. That's the beginning. And that's a continual promise. But salvation about redemption, being brought back to God, it's about belonging and being. God wants to take us from out of the old life and the old ways. First Peter talked about that, the empty ways handed down from our forefathers. He wants us to take us out of that and give us a new life. Yes, 
We have to grow in that. Yes, there's always things to work on. And that's what the grace of God is all about. But that is His will. His will is that I change. His will is that my character becomes more like Christ. His will is that I will seek to do anything it takes to become like that. That is what I need to ask. Who must I be? I want you to look at Titus chapter 2. And look what Paul says when he's discussing um, the purpose that Jesus came here. First of all, he's, he says in verse 11 of 2, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now stop right there. The grace of God teaches me to say no to ungodliness and to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in Christ. Jesus, I say no to ungodliness, yes to godliness, right? But it's the grace of God that does that. I don't have it within myself to do that. I didn't come up with this idea, Sheridan, let's just really impress God. Let's knock him off his throne right here, all right? I'm going to say no to all this stuff. You know what? I can't say no to all that stuff. I can't do that in and of my own power. Because that stuff, I love that stuff. I love resentful or lust or things like that. I love it. It, become, it was a part of me and all of this. So I can't just go, no. Because usually what happens is I try and do that on my own power. I'll squeeze one area of my life, got it under control. What happens to all the other areas? It's like a balloon. You ever seen a balloon? Squeeze one part, whoo, comes out there. What's wrong? I want to do good, man. And then I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do good. I'm going to do good. I remember trying to become a Christian. I know that sounds weird to you, but, you know, I knew a freshman year, uh, no, a sophomore year in Florida, I'd gone to some Bible studies freshman year, Florida. I didn't believe in the Bible, but I thought, wow, this is great. It relates. This must be true. And I was excited, but it didn't change kept doing the same thing. I remember sitting down and saying, okay, I'm going to become a Christian. God, I'm a Christian. Help me right now. I've changed. That's great. And I went to one of my partying buddies and wanted to talk to him about Jesus. And so we split a bottle of scotch and I witnessed the gospel of Christ to him, at least as much as I could remember. After I don't remember much of what happened. All I remember is waking up the next day saying, I think something didn't take there, all right? I think somehow, what happened? How did in the world did that happen to me? You know why? I wanted it, I just didn't have the power. So, what did I miss? You see, I wasn't asking the right question. I was saying, okay, God, what do I do? I'm just, I'll quit drinking getting high, immorality, all this other stuff, clean my language up, which was a big thing, all this stuff, all right? And man, I, the first time, first time after I prayed to try and be, I go and do something like that. It's like, what is going on? Let's keep reading the passage. Here's what happened. I'm going to start it over. Verse 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, the reason after I got baptized, which is 44 years ago yesterday, the reason after that that I could say no to these things was because I belonged to him. I was being his. I wasn't just, hey, i got to do a couple of things. It was God in me that allowed me to say, nope, not going to do that, and to say, yes, I'm going to start, I want to start living this way. And appreciation and seeking out what is God's will for my life in every single area. See, when you belong to God, it is God's will that you are ultimately and always and completely interested in. If you're not being that way, you end up in consumer Christianity or client Christianity. Consumer Christianity is we approach God with what he can do for us. Gimme, gimme, gimme. You know, I want a place, I want to go to heaven, I want to do this, check, you know, we're a shopping cart. But there's no seeking. What is your will for my life? What is your will? I want the kingdom of God. I want to be in the kingdom of God where I'm under the rule and reign of God. What is your will? No, it's like, God, what can you do? Now, we, you know, we'll bow our heads while we say it, but that's really it. It's consumer Christianity or client Christianity. You know, that's where we're a client of God's. I don't belong to him, but, you know, I have a certain business transaction. I'll, do, I'll give you every Sunday, you give me heaven good client. I mean, your, your specialty is fire insurance, so what do I need to do to pay the premiums, alright? Church attendance, I'll give money, and if I have to, I'll go to something special now and then, or something like that, but there's almost a sense, you know, I'm his client. What did, what did the scripture say? Jesus wanted to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good, his very own. No wonder Paul says, I no longer live. Christ lives in me, his very own. We were initially created to belong to God. We were supposed to be being the character that God had created, being the character of Christ. It is not a consumer. It is not a transaction. It is not a client. It is Belonging and being. And see, the man missed it. He missed the whole discussion. Wrong question. Wrong question. And that's why he goes away sad. He could not picture his life giving up this thing because he didn't know who Jesus was, really. He didn't know the power of God. He didn't know any of that. He tried to just do a couple of things, and it wasn't good enough. The other thing he did, and the mistake he made, was <clears throat> he tried to barter. And this is, this is important. I, I understand this concept myself. I, I used to do that back again before I was a Christian. I'd find myself in trouble. And even times when I wasn't sure there was a God, I'd go ahead and pray just in case, you know, can you get me out of this? I will go to church. You know, can you get me out of this? I will try and be a nicer person. Can you get me out? You know, it's a bartering. 
bartering. It's kind of like, in this guy's mind, he's, um, you know, okay, what other good thing can I do? What can I do? And then you will, you know, give me salvation. Whereas God wanted him. Jesus wanted him. Lock, stock, and barrel. He wanted his money. He wanted his dreams. He wanted everything. Because you know why? He is the creator. He knows what's best. And in the kingdom of God, the will of God is that we belong to God. This guy kept going, can I do something good? Is there one other thing? Is there something else to the point that, you know, I don't have to surrender this part of me. I'm not going to be in the kingdom of God because his will does not apply in this area. I am idolatrous. That was his issue. He was idolatrous. And all of the good deeds in the world cannot erase idolatry. In fact, one way this, that people can sometimes try and live their lives is they figure if I just do more good deeds than bad, it'll balance out. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Because in the kingdom of God, you're under his reign or you're not. And if you're not, then you're bartering. I'm going to do this good thing. I'm going to do that good thing. I'm going to do this good thing and that good thing. And sometimes, and this is a tough one, sometimes it comes about because of blame shifting. You know, there are probably people in this room, I know some of you, some I don't. I know the way you were raised, though, some of the people, and some of the abuse situations. That grieves my heart that anybody has ever have to grow up in that. Anybody. I can only imagine that trauma. I've had some stuff in my own life, but I know I don't try to pretend like I know exactly what someone's feeling. I don't. I know it's traumatic. And I know the worst thing you can say to someone like that is, well, just get over it. You're a Christian, just get over it. You know, there's some truth. Yeah, you are a Christian, so you're starting off on the right foot, but the just get over it can be really, really unmerciful and uncompassionate. However, I do want to say this. If you decide to go the road of blame shifting, you will never be free. Never. And here's what I mean. Does that mean you shouldn't be angry because people have done things wrong? Let me tell you what. God is a God of justice. You don't have to worry about injustice being settled. It will be settled. And on that day, you're probably not going to want it to be settled. You're going to think, whoa, that's more... Because he's the God of justice. So, you know what? People that have done things to me, people that, I pray they repent. I pray they turn. That's the whole reason Jesus died, is so that God doesn't compromise his justice and holiness, but his love just goes out full of grace. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Be angry at the injustice. Get help. Get with a counselor. Pray. Get with a lot of people. Don't bury it. Do whatever you need to do. But you know what? The minute you go, it's going to always be their fault. You are now enslaved to a situation you will never break free from. Never. 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 The only recourse you'll have is bitterness, anger, resentment, regret. And how in the world does that reflect Matthew 13? It doesn't, does it? 
No, no, because that's not being under the will of God. God's will is that you be comforted. God's will is that you be healed. God's will is that you be supported. God's will is that you be accepted. God's will is that you be forgiven. God's will is that you be renewed. God's will is that you go out and make a difference. God's will is something that He intends to happen, but only we decide if we're going to be under that will. And when we're under the will, there is the kingdom of God. And so the territories, our boundary lines, are not geographical, they are personal. And they go through a crowd. And where is the effective range of God's will? It's everywhere where our heart is saying, look, I may be a mess, but Lord, here I am. What is your will? You mean I need to confess that? That's okay, I'll do it. You mean I need to sell that? That's okay, I'll do it. You mean I need to get rid of that in my life? That's okay, I'll do it. You know what, when I was becoming a Christian, there wasn't a thing, if you had showed me in the Bible, go and you know, bang your head into that wall, and you showed that scripture to me, I'd bang my head in the wall. That's how badly I finally came to the point, I want to just do what God says. Because Sheridan had all these years of doing what he said, and look at the result. Look what happened, but I want to do what God said. And you want to know something? For 44 years, I've not perfectly done what God said. For 44 years, I've had to repent. I've had to confess. I've had to do that. But you know what? That's the will of God too. So, I don't step out of the will of God, do I? When I see I'm not doing something, I say, you know what? No excuse. Brother, here's this. Sister, pray for me. You know, I need help. What do you see? Oh, those are painful. Those are painful. I want Disney World oftentimes, but sometimes it's like you feel on the battlefield. But what's the result of that? Refreshing. Stuff doesn't linger. It's not like putting a bandage on an open sore. Well, I don't see it anymore, therefore I'm okay. No, you're not. No, you're not. It's when you get in there and dig it out. That's what the Word of God says. It talks about confessing your sins. It talks about forsaking the sin. It talks about repenting of it. it. talks about living a new life. That's the will of God. Are you in the kingdom? That is His will. Ezekiel had a prophecy against some of the leaders of Israel. They approached, and God told Ezekiel, tell them, I won't listen to their prayers because they have idols in their hearts. If we don't belong to God, then everything else is just an attempt at bargaining. Maybe I'll do more good than bad. I don't know where God's will is going to lead you. I don't know where God's will will lead me. I have no idea. I have brothers and sisters that have passed on before me. I have dear friends that are, are facing life-threatening situations here. And I realize, you know, the goal in life is not to be happy. The goal in life is to be faithful. Because God is. And whatever the cost, we need to be ready to pay it. But not, oh my gosh, here we go, we've got to pay this, this stinks. No. Amen. I get to do that because I'm with God, because I'm following Jesus, because Christ lives in me, because no death cannot harm me, because there is no one 
that can do anything to me. I am secure in the hand of God. So however I need to be used, whatever the cost, go for it. Because I am content. I'm content not because I'm complete and I'm great. No, I'm content because God is in me. And God is with me and He's with you and He's in you. We need some brokenness. We need people to confess. We need to just get this stuff out that holds us back and say, I am living under the rule and reign of God because that is what the kingdom of God is. Is it any wonder why Jesus said, repent and believe the good news about the kingdom of God? To Jesus, that was good news. Did you notice that with the rich young ruler? He loved him, and then he said that. All Jesus wants, I want you to be with me, but you just bowing down to that money more than God, you can't do that. You can't do that. I want you to be with me. I love you. I'll tell you whatever it takes. That's good news. That's something exciting. You know what I think about after 44 years? I think of all the ways my life could have gone. I'm pretty convinced I wouldn't be here right now. I'm pretty convinced I know I wouldn't be married, wouldn't probably have kids, or if I did, they would really be in a mess here, and I'd be you know, spending all my money trying to get them help. Um, I shudder to think. And so, no matter any disappointment that's gone on, and you know what, guys? I surveyed my life. I know Pam's saying 66. Okay, I'm not quite there. I'm on my 64th year coming up. But it's like, wow, I would have liked to have done this better, that better, yada, yada, yada. You know what? If I had done this, that, and better, you know what I'd be doing at 63? Saying, boy, I wish I had done this other thing better and this other. You know, you're never going to win that one. Never going to win, unless you can walk on water. And if you can walk on water, you're already there. You made it. Good job. Good for you. For the rest of us that are just trying to, you know, go, we can't do it. But I can be content in Christ right now. I can rejoice that I belong to the kingdom. I can look at disappointments and discouragement and defeats as a classroom to learn something rather than a statement about my life. You know why? Because Christ is in me the hope of glory, and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Let's make sure we're asking ourselves and asking Jesus the right question, and let's make sure we don't try and bargain, but let's say, I'm in the kingdom, I am under the rule and the reign of a loving Heavenly Father. Singers, why don't you come, and we will... Uh, Go ahead and close out here. Uncle Wayne, why don't you come and lead us in closing prayer, okay?